Welcome to the Miami Red Devils podcast. This is the official podcast of the Miami Red Devils supporters group. I'm Adam, and as always, I am joined by the president of the supporters group, Carter. Carter, how are we feeling? Feeling good. Feeling excited. Uh, never done anything like this quite before, and I'll be gentle for your first time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's just exciting. Getting to talk more footy with other people. Can't wait. Yeah, I think this is very cool, and it's very uh, new. It's very interesting new project for our our group to do, and you know, increase the engagement of all the people that follow the club, follow our supporters club, a lot of fans in Miami, and so I, I think that it's a good time to talk about how you got your start. You're the president of the Miami Red Devils supporters club. Big title, lots of responsibility, mm-hmm. I know, from talking to you. So so why don't you share a little bit about yourself, how you got your start with the club, and tell us a little bit about the Miami Red Devils. Uh, well, I got started um, probably about 2008, 09. And uh, like a lot of other American kids, I was brought up as a football fan, American football. And you're kind of taught that soccer players are not the uh, toughest dudes in the world. And I kind of grew up with that assumption and because all in all it's a contact sport. So I expected some contact and I finally got to see Wayne Rooney play. And that guy, the way he played is everything I like about athletes. Um, So it was natural to support the team that Rooney was playing for. And that's how it all started. Yeah. And so I kind of expect my team to play with that sort of intensity, sort of. So if you hear some of my opinions on here, a lot of it has to do with that. It's how I think the team should play is based on kind of how I was introduced. So you're poisoned by Wayne Rooney forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. expect everyone to be Wayne Rooney. Yeah. 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 Which I know is the most unreasonable thing maybe to ask of any athlete in the world. But that's why I'm not a coach. That's right. That's right. And tell us a little bit about the uh, Miami Red Devils Supporters Club. The Supporters Club, uh, founded in 2015. Um, by some good friends of mine, which I hope we can get on here eventually. Absolutely. Uh, my first experience with it was at John Martin's. And when I showed up, there was one guy there. And it just kind of grew outwards once I think that me and him started to talk. Uh, and then he became president. It ballooned and, you know, not into huge, huge numbers, but it was more than just two guys at a bar. Yeah. Um, and it's been a journey. And it's been growing steadily and healthily. And I think part of that is we want it to be as inclusive as possible. Uh, one of the reasons I'm excited for the podcast, because it, it'll tell people about who we are uh, as members of the group, just as regular people. And so they know what they expect when they come to a game. And hopefully it's expecting to have a good time and to be respected by everybody and, you know, to support their club. Yeah, Absolutely. I remember my first time at at one of these matches and uh, with with you guys and the the one thing that I I always considered about the Miami Red Devils different from the other groups that I've been to I've been in Chicago and New York is that since Miami is kind of a a small community of Manchester United supporters and with that said we have hundreds of followers and and lots of our games have about a hundred people but. Everybody, including you and the previous president, Matt, and uh, this guy, Eric, who's a who's who's a a favorite. Um, All of you guys are very welcoming to to new people. And that's how myself and my wife got involved with the the club. And so that that is a a thing that you can expect if you come to to one of our games, 
you're going to be greeted. You're going to be, we're going to ask your name. You're, you're going to be introduced to people. And it's, it's kind of building that, that fraternity sorority of, of people that are, that are interested in the team that are, that are fans of the team and that we can, you know, all have the camaraderie of rooting for our favorite team. And I've, you know, nothing better than when we score a goal and we celebrate as the 50 of us as the club. I agree. There might literally not be much better in the world than that. I mean, a lot of my, you know, a lot of the people that are part of the supporters group always want to go to the games. And of, of course I want to make a trip to old Trafford. Of course I want to make that happen. But sometimes when a game is good enough, I'm like, I don't feel the need to be like, Oh, I need to experience more than this. Sometimes I'm like, I'm almost happier with these 50 people, 60 people, a hundred people that are, you know, cause we're from the same place and we're, you know, we have a personal connection and where we are, there's, there's, you know, the connections with the bartenders and all that. So sometimes I'm like, man, this is just as good as anything that I could expect sometimes from, from any other big stage or big arena. Um, because of, you know, it's, it's intense in a good way in a, in a, in a healthy way, uh, and an exciting way. That's absolutely true. It's, it's something that I never thought about until you said that, but you know, we can't, we, we, we aren't going to be able to bring over 80 people to Old Trafford and all be in the same section at Old Trafford cheering on United like we have when we go to Bryson's Irish Pub, which is our, our, home, our home pub where we watch all the games. It's right near Miami International Airport. And so that, that environment where we are all together and we are all celebrating and hugging and like random people are, are just like <laughs> moshing on top of one another, just celebrating the goal. That's something that is hard to imagine would be, would be replicated. But of course we, we are planning on trips, trips to Manchester, I, you know, the European away games would be a really fun thing that there's no hotter ticket in the world right now than a Manchester United ticket. So hopefully uh, we're going to, we're going to have a contingent, that is going to travel to some of these uh, some of these summer trip uh, summer summer tour games. Uh, as as far as we know right now, it's I think it's going to be announced after you are listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. But from everything we've heard, it's San Diego, L.A., Las Vegas, and New York. Is that is that right? That's all I've been hearing. Uh, I know everybody got into the conspiracy of uh, the uh, the airplane board that they showed on the, with the Fred the right. Red looking at it, um, and we were on there, but. I haven't heard anything about it being it. those those cities are where I've heard they're going to be at. Um, I would love for it to just be here <laughs> because I don't have any money. But uh, yeah, those, that's what I've heard as well, Autumn. Yeah. So the the title president doesn't come with a huge salary. Pre- president of Manchester <laughs> United supporters, the local supporters club in Miami, does not come with a huge salary. So. <laughs> So unfortunately, we can't pay Carter as much as he's worth. <laughs> we're gonna get right into our rundown, and and so the the plan is, and we're as long as as we're recording this podcast, we're gonna try and try and go through a few topics. We're gonna try and keep it short and interesting for you all. But the the first uh, we kind of heard from from Carter a little bit, but I'd love to know how many. So so obviously Wayne Rooney. So th- so that he was the first kind of player that you took to. And was was it right when he right when he signed with the club, or was it or was it in you know because Wayne Rooney spent a, spent a couple of years at Manchester United, some better than others, but but most you know always Wayne Rooney style. Yeah, it was it was. I mean, as soon as you watch someone like that play, that is, in my opinion, and I, I would assume a lot of other people's opinion, uh, a generational 
sort of talent. I mean, soccer is humongous, so it's not exactly the same. There's always good players always coming through, but um, nobody would argue with yeah. <laughs> with Wayne Rooney being a generational talent, especially <laughs> no Englishman would argue with that. Um, and so when you see him just on the field, it's different, right? When you, when you, it's it, there's a different energy. There's there's a different belief that it is like wow who's that person right and and those players are always exciting and they're great to watch um but then of course he has the other edge the physicality the heart the which sometimes to a fault sometimes to a fault he'd run himself out of games uh because he was always sprinting but yeah didn't he get injured i i just saw this in the rooney doc mm. he, he was like he put on long and uh I, I think this was in in a world cup world cup mat or international mm. match he put on longer boots longer studs to go and like hurt someone. And then he ended up getting mm. injured trying to, to slice it was either them or it was Chelsea. Cause I know the FA is the one who was like, well, we're going to retroactively punish him for something that happened 10 years ago. Cause it's the FA, yeah. but, uh, but that was the type of player. Wayne yeah. Was. And yeah. you know, it's just, again, when you have a perception of, of footballers being, um, one of the first game, and this is no disrespect to this player at all, but one of the first games I ever watched was that Ronaldinho game uh, when he's playing for AC Milan, and where the, after the Brazil coach said something like, "He can't play like that for us. He's not going if he keeps doing this because he was diving so much." And when you're introduced to that stuff at like a younger age, I think I watched the game when I was twelve, and so it was maybe I was fourteen. I don't remember, but. You're like, like, wow, that kind of ruins my perceptions because, you know, Ronaldinho is Ronaldinho. He's a superstar. And like, this is the superstar, some guy who's diving the whole game. And again, Ronaldinho is one of my favorite players ever. So yeah. it's no disrespect to him. But when you inter- get introduced to it like that, it kind of changes your perception. So seeing somebody as intense as Wayne Rooney is probably what it needed to be for me to take the next step into supporting and really feeling intensely about a team absolutely yeah and it, it you know for american sports fans it's annoying to first start watching the sport and start seeing how how often they dive and exaggerate exaggerate and one thing that i i try to remind people is that in american sports there are many more referees or the area that they're playing on especially in basketball is much smaller and, and if you look in basketball there are three, four referees on that small area, and they're all staring at the play, and they can all call fouls. In in soccer, f- football, we're gonna we're gonna screw that up. Mm-hmm. We we would probably call it football amongst ourselves, mm-hmm. and and no disrespect if you call it football or soccer, we're gonna we're gonna go back and forth. I'll say I'll say it on the record right now. I'm a soccer guy. Yeah, so I'm a soccer guy. I, I am a I I will usually I say footy now. I've I've like become I think like that's a the easier one. Yeah, it's yeah. The, it's the good in between. Yeah, so I, I've become a footy guy. But certainly, whenever we're talking about American football, we're going to say American football. Mm. So, which we're both we're both fans of. But but I will say when you when you're a referee and you are on a soccer pitch, the the pitch is huge. There are fouls that happen off the ball that you can't see. The, the assistants don't have the full authority to call fouls. They have like kind of partial authority. And so when you're watching, you know, when you're looking at a referee and you're, you're a player, it's like, I need him to see that I was fouled. And I will say that, that this happened in the past maybe 10 years in the NBA. Players that are fouled like lightly will shock their head back 
to say mm-hmm. like, oh Absolutely. my god, I was like, and and it's it's caused more fault. So mm-hmm. now you'll see players doing that. You'll yeah. see players that are dribbling with mm-hmm. the ball, like shock their head back to say, oh, this 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 mm-hmm. like this foul killed me. So there is flopping in other mm-hmm. sports. They're just not writhing on the ground, oh, ground I, pretending I, that they're injured. <laughs> I agree. I was gonna. I was. I was almost gonna cut you off. Me like, yeah. There's there's all those referees in the NBA, but they're still flopping. You know. Yeah. It's, uh, exactly. Yeah, and, and there's you know it's it's kind of. It's the limitation of man, sort of, is, is a big part of it. You know, they're, how many times do we see a player go down in the box because they think it's going to draw a penalty? Not because they weren't fouled, not that it's necessarily a dive, but that, that they, they need the referee to see it. And then when we're watching it on TV, we're like, if you had just stayed on your feet, you, you probably have, would have scored. Have scored. Um, yeah. And that's always, you know, because they're coached in certain ways that are like, hey, they, if you're fouled, they got to see it. And that's all understandable. No matter how much I understand it, I still get frustrated. No, though <laughs> it's, it's still annoying. It's still annoying because these people are our heroes mm-hmm. and they're gladiators, and they shouldn't be faking injuries when there are heroes and our gladiators. And that goes out to all you Boston Celtics fans, also. <laughs> so I, I want to just say quickly how how I became a Man United supporter, and then you know we'll never talk about this again. We're just mm-hmm. going to talk about the the club and not ourselves. But uh, so I started getting into the sport. You know, we talked about it a little bit that both of us grew up on on more traditional American sports. I uh, got into the sport a little bit in in college and, and law school. And I found out that my family uh, during their kind of emigration from Eastern Europe to America had had about one and a half generations in Manchester, England. And it happened oh. to be. At the time that it was, it was kind of the Newton Heath to the rebranding as Manchester United. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, late 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 nineteenth or early twentieth century. And so, you know, I have no idea. For all for all I know, we we you know we could have like hated the sport, you know, <laughs> and, and but you know my ancestors. But I, I adopted Manchester United, and my. I started following them a little bit in the Louis van Gaal era and, and Jose Mourinho. So the, the more that I have become a fan of the club over the years, the worse we've done. <laughs> and so, so we can talk about this, you know, in the, in the future, but the way that I experienced that EFL cup Carabao cup win was a lot different than the way you probably experienced it mm. because uh, although I, I was there with you and, mm-hmm. and you were, you were jumping and and laughing and cheering and maybe crying a little bit. Did <laughs> I just a little bit? Just just a little bit. But the way that that you experienced all of that was a little bit different for me because it was it was really my the first trophy that I felt invested in. Mm-hmm. And everyone has that first trophy yeah. that they felt invested in. And my trophy happens to have three handles and be named after an energy drink, but but that that was that was kind of my my first first real trophy. So we've talked a little bit about ourselves. I want to get into this topic, knock it out straight away, because I kind of hate this topic to talk about or think about or be in my life. But the takeover takeover of Manchester United is looming, right? So for for those at home that are new to this thing and that are just beginners in, in following Manchester United. And I'm going to try and try and reset for those beginner fans like my sister Marjorie. So for Marjorie out there, the Glazers are a, a family, a rich family, six kids that own Manchester United. Their father bought the club, and we're talking 
this was you know uh, 17, 17 years. Is that right, Carter? Sounds about right. But I right. try to ignore their existence yeah. as much as possible. Exactly. So the the Glazers are a rich American family, and their father bought the club. He's passed away, so it's now owned primarily by the six Glazer children. They also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have run the club like a business, and their ownership has coincided with kind of the downfall of Manchester United as the best club in the world as far as winning trophies, winning Premier League titles, winning Champions League. All of that has happened. That that downfall has all happened under Glazer ownership. So many, most, maybe all supporters of Manchester United are Glazers out. They want the Glazers to sell the club. The Glazers announced that they were open to selling the club or refinancing, but with with you know most most fans will say we hope that for a full sale of Manchester United. So right now there are two front runners. There, this is all a a a topic and a bidding process that's happening largely behind closed doors. We do know the two main bidders, a Qatari finance bid that that will be dressed up as a private individual from Qatar, but in reality it is a it is basically a Qatari state bid. So the Qatar Sovereign Wealth Fund is vying to buy Manchester United and make it basically a PR arm of Qatar. There's also another bid by a wealthy English businessman named Sir Jim Ratcliffe. I don't, I don't know how comfortable I feel with calling him Sir in America. You know, it's written right in the Constitution that we're not supposed to use titles of nobility. But Sir Jim Ratcliffe and his, his company, Ineos, have also put in a bid. They are pretty similar in lots of ways, especially the valuation of the club. But there's a lot of different ways to go about this. But I'm just going to ask you straight out, Carter. Where do you want the ownership of Manchester United to be once the summer transfer window opens? It is starting to become an almost impossible question to answer. It would be great if there was a salt-of-the-earth billionaire that also wanted to buy Manchester United that uh, wasn't carrying a lot of luggage that was not so nice um i don't know i i'm not english i don't really get the whole thing but every english person i've seen to i have talked to seems to not be too hot on radcliffe it doesn't seem like they want that guy around the club qatari wise we all have our opinions on sports washing and human rights and all that stuff and I think me and you talked about a few like a month ago or two months ago about how how much does that change our support? How much do we invest in it? It's not something that we can control. Um, you know, the thing that comes with the Qataris is a lot of money. We see how City can spend and stuff like that, and some fans will be jealous of the idea that we can, you know, we can have five years of trying to figure out uh, what our best defensive back line is with. $300 million and all that stuff. And not to take away from what city does, you know, it's, but it's when we were really struggling and we saw the kind of spending they were doing on different defenders, we were maybe a little jealous, but of course it comes back down to is sports ever going to be 
clean like that. If when you're talking about this much money, it's real hard to get somebody who's got that much money who's like a totally clean uh, entity or company or person or whatever. Um, it is very difficult. I, like you said, don't like thinking about it all that much. Um, I don't like the Glazers. I don't think that they're the cleanest people in the world. Even if I think they're bad owners, I don't think they're also, you know, great to have in a club and organization or anything like that. Um, I don't know. Usually I would say, so I think, I think at the beginning I was going to say Radcliffe like before, like a few months ago because he was an English guy. Um, but after the kind of all out rejection of him by people who live in Manchester and stuff like that, I, I have to defer to them because I don't really know. And then Qatari wise is, you know, I feel like a lot of teams are going that way, um, for various reasons. Um, so it's hard for, you know, as a regular person to make a judgment call about these circles that have nothing to do with any kind of reality that I live in. It's hard to say what I would like. Um, you know, I, I, I almost don't have an opinion anymore because it's too difficult. It doesn't, nothing seems good. So, yeah, I think that's fair. And this is a, this is a bad thing about being a sports fan that when we were children, we didn't have to worry about. And I'm sure our owners were horrible when we were, when we were sports fans following the Cubs or the Raiders for you and whatever it is. So, but now we're talking about kind of nation states that are doing this thing called sports washing, which is purchasing a club with a built-in, you know, loving fan base to increase the PR value of, of that club for the purposes of increasing the PR for that specific nation state. And so I guess the only thing that I would say, I guess there are a couple things I would say. If you want more balls and nets with nothing else, no, and, and this is the view of a lot of our supporters club. They want more balls and nets, which is understandable. More balls and nets means you, we win more stuff, right? If you want more balls and nets, Qataris are the way to go. Mm-hmm. They have unlimited wealth. The issues that are happening with Manchester City right now, where they're charged by the FA with financial fair play violations that won't happen at Manchester United, even with a sovereign wealth fund backing Manchester United, because Manchester United makes so much money, global partnerships, sponsorships, shirt sales, TV rights internationally, all that stuff is, is worth so, you know, sellouts of, of a huge stadium that will be huger in the future. So Financial fair play stuff that that will knock down Man City a little bit will not happen at United because of all the the money and the and the huge global fan base. So if you want more balls and nets, you want the best players. Qataris are your bid. If you have kind of a different view about what a club means, what sport means to you, the way that I see that, and and this is this goes off one thing that I, I saw this guy Mark Goldbridge from the United Stands say. He said, basically, all people, all owners are bad, echoing some of the stuff that we've talked about. But even if the Qataris torture people, the Glazers have been torturing people for years. And 
that is a really short-sighted and I think callous way to think about sport and global politics, which is that our our hurt as a fan base not winning trophies is equivalent to someone else's hurt of having a family member or being tortured by a repressive regime. So all I would say, I guess, is that there are bad billionaires and there are worse billionaires and there are better billionaires. It's not black and white. So the Glazers are bad. Yes, they run run United like a business. Yes, they're bad at running it like a business. Yes, <laughs> they lose money. The, the debt financing is bad. All of that is bad, but they don't run a repressive nation state or they're not affiliated with a repressive regime. So so I guess I will say there's there's better and worse. But just like you, I, I'm going to have the I'm um, my favorite. My favorite potential owner is cognitive dissonance. <laughs> I, I, I want to say but which is not to say that if 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 Qatar or any any other it, or Saudi Arabia whoever a repressive regime owns united i'm going to continue to support united but i i will be vocal about my opposition to our owners which is the same as the same yoke we've lived under since since the fan base has turned against the glazers right yeah and i think that's totally fair and i mostly agree i mean like you said it's not comparing what we see with human rights and with these nation states versus what the glazers do but the fact that we are vocal will not change. It's it's just it's just what we're talking about is different or more intense or something like that. It's not, you know, okay, now it's all good. We're going to stop talking now. No, we're still going to keep talking about it, which I think is healthy. I think it keeps uh, these owners in some way a little bit accountable. Probably nowhere near enough. But the fact that we will remain vocal as a lot of fan bases do, not just us. I know the Newcastle fans are very vocal um, and a myriad of others. I mean, it seems like every single one uh, is extremely vocal about their ownership, which I think is a very healthy and good thing, which I don't think uh, a lot of the other sports, especially as an American, right? We get their owners for football teams, but outside of that, I don't think that we usually have that kind of relationship with our teams where we're talking about what ownership means. And I think that is a good thing that the footballing world has cultivated these very open and maybe not always honest, but hopefully honest discussions about ownership and what that means uh, are much more common in this world than in the world of American sports, which I think is something that American sports can improve upon. I think that's definitely right. All right. So enough of that forever. Uh, (laughs) I I want to now talk about, you know, this is it's a good segue. So the Qataris have bought Manchester United. Congratulations! You now have an unlimited summer transfer window budget. You can buy whatever player you want. Who are you buying? If you are Richard Arnold, Eric Ten Hag, and and by all you know, by all accounts, you know Richard Arnold basically says to Eric Ten Hag, "Buy whoever you know. I'll, I'll buy whoever you want me to buy." He certainly did in the summer. Not so much in January, perhaps, but who are you buying in this upcoming transfer window if, if say, you have an unlimited budget or something close to the 200 million pounds? They spent 220 million pounds, I believe, in the, the last summer transfer window. So you got 200 million pounds. Where are you spreading that around? Um, I think the first thing that I have to start with is what I'm happy with, right? Because some people are going to have Makes different sense. opinions on what we need to improve. So I'm pretty happy with the back line. 
Um, How could you not be? <laughs> um, the right back situation. I like Wambasaka and Dallo has. We know you like Wambasaka. <laughs> Podcast listeners, Carter loves Aaron Wambasaka. I am that old guy crying outside of Old Trafford in that video. You are. Um, but I am happy with Dallo has very much grown on me. Um, I think that they're a good option to do two different things, which I appreciate. You know, of course, you want all in one doesn't always exist, doesn't really exist as far as we can tell. He's not in Vermeerly, really. Um, so I'm happy with the back line. So maybe another body, uh, left back or right back, but Malazia's coming along. He's learning. He's not making as many mistakes as he was making, and I think he's playing with a good intensity. So Shaw and them at, full, at left back. Um, I like Lindelof, Maguire rotation with Varane and Varane. Uh, you know, I think we are always going to need somebody behind Varane because the dude is as fit as Martial is sometimes. Uh, sometimes, but, although not this season, he's yeah, been he's, he's been, been good. fit this season. He's been good, but they're all also getting up there a little bit. Sure. So you're going to want somebody younger, just more capable of going, capable of learning. Now he's going to play every game, but we just we just need to be ready for it. Now Shaw being able to play center back as he's as it's the coolest thing ever, right? I know, right? It's awesome. It's so cool. I love it. Like, yeah. and it's just like, mm. but like, so that's a good thing. Um, and it's a cre- that that's a cre- we're not going to talk about it later. So I'm happy talking about it now. <laughs> but that's a credit to Ten Hag and Absolutely. Shaw both. Absolutely, it, it, it is the coolest thing that that Shaw is like. I think it. And Ten Hag talked about it in a press conference. Mm. Shaw Shaw basically said, "I can play center back." They they were down. I think it was Lissandra Martinez was was suspended and and uh, I think McGuire was injured from the World Cup, some, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So so they they were short on center backs and Luke Shaw was like, I can play center back. And so he did. And he's great at it. And Luke Shaw got chosen over McGuire a couple of times. Even when McGuire came back fit, yeah. Luke Shaw was still chosen over McGuire to play center back. Yeah, I mean, it's been like. A dream. It's just it's just been great. I haven't seen any real problems. Um, you know, nothing that you know. Every single game is going to be a chance for the other team, but um, I have not seen anything that would cause me to concern. Like right now, we can just keep riding him at center back when we have to because cool. it's just it's it's awesome. Um, so I'm happy with the back line. Um, another defensive mid behind Casemiro would be sick. They don't seem to exist i don't know i don't really know what goes on with that position anymore there are like two of them yeah yeah i don't know yeah but paulinia paulinia is like a guy that that just caught my eye from Mm -hmm. fulham a defensive midfielder Mm -hmm. type and then you know ruben neves and declan rice have been like on our radar for a while yeah and of course the thing but the thing with those two players is always like like particularly declan rice it'll it if you have Declan Rice, it has to be Casemiro and Declan Rice not going to sit yeah. on the bench. So, yeah. um, and then you you have two defensive minded midfielders, and so yeah, we need a we need like a second tier mm-hmm. defensive midfielder, and you know I, I don't know enough about about the sport yeah, to, to know I, who that guy is. I I wouldn't know. I mean, the every every transfer window, the Athletic throws out about seven. Uh, defensive mids, seven players every position, but that, that Manchester United should buy, particularly in defensive midfielder position. I haven't heard of a lot of them after I read the athletic article and then, yeah. <laughs> and then try to look up any, you know, it's, but that's, that's kind of how the sport goes because so many players. Um, that would be great. I wouldn't have anybody in mind. Um, midfielder wise, it depends on how Erickson feels uh, when he comes back. Uh, 
and honestly, Van de Beek, how Van de Beek feels when he comes back, you know, how much we're going to hold on to Van de Beek, whether we're going to move he's, on. He's not it, though, right? I know. I, I, I don't think so. But he's, he's gotten his chances. He got his chances at Everton. I know he got injured. He's on loan last year at mm-hmm. Everton. And Ten Hag, you know, there was this talk of this Ajax rejuvenation for, for Donny Van de Beek. He played a few matches. He played at 10 in Europa League. And he just, he really seems like he's not it. And I guess I would say from watching those matches, it seemed like he was off the pace a little bit, but he imagined kind of a more fluid kind of possession dominant team that Manchester United aren't yet. Mm-hmm. And I think under Ten Hag, like one day we will be, but right now we are kind of a hybrid counter attacking and sometimes possession and that is not that doesn't work for Donnie. It seems like mm-hmm. Donnie would do much better under an Ajax type system where they have the ball the entire time. You're playing jazz out there. They're creative and you can do creative stuff because Donnie doesn't have kind of the pace, the physicality that is maybe necessary for mm-hmm. for his position. And I would agree with that. Um, I. When I imagine Donnie, I imagine he's like a body behind Bruno. Like that's usually what I'm thinking of when I'm talking about Donny. Cause, but now that the formation has all changed, now it's a little bit different. They have to take up different roles. And I don't know if Donny can handle the other responsibilities that Bruno has had to take up in the different system. Um, so a body there is something we probably need. I mean, it just depends on what they do in real life with, uh, with Donny. Um, so you're talking, you're, you're basically talking about the kind of the pivot, the, the, yeah. the second midfielder, playing ahead of Casemiro mm-hmm. so, and, and Eric's independent. So I, I want to say a dirty word, Frankie de Jong. I just don't want to touch it. I don't want to, somebody who basically fought that hard not to play for my team, I don't want him. And that's not really anything against Frankie. I think Frankie de Jong's a great player, but I never want somebody who doesn't want to be here. I mean, like, you know, it's that's a big part of the players that I want. I mean, I don't need the top names on a team that I support. I need players who want to be there. And that, that's all. That's that's fair and and seems true. I guess the one caveat I will say is that it's it's hard to know from everything what Frankie De Jong truly, after a couple beers, would say <laughs> about where he wants to play, not where his girlfriend wants him to play. Mm. But he was in a unique situation where he's in Barcelona. He's owed back wages because, and if you want to talk about a fan owned club and how that goes, talk to a Barcelona supporter and see how that's going for them. (laughs) Yes. They're doing well right now. It's going to be a pretty rocky road for Barcelona going forward into the future. Um, but but Frankie de Jong is owed back wages and he wanted to get that paid. And it was a when we were talking about buying de Jong in the summer, a lot of the discussion was how much of a discount is he going to get from his back wages to get transferred to Manchester United and make more money at Manchester United. And he was unwilling, rightly, to, mm-hmm. to accept kind of a, a, a reverse pay cut when they said, we're going to pay you. They gave him an IOU. And so it's hard to know right now 
what Frank De Jong truly feels, but I 100% agree with the premise. We don't want players that don't want to play at our club. I just am not convinced that Frankie De Jong doesn't want to play at the club. The other side of it that I that I alluded to, his girlfriend loved Barcelona, and like, how could you not? Barcelona is not Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we can all we can all like we love Manchester. Yeah. I I was there, loved it. I I I can't can't speak more highly about Manchester, but you know Barcelona is a little bit of a different town mm-hmm. and vibe than Manchester. Yeah, and I get that. I've I've always gotten that. I mean, I always have a hard time relating to them because I like quaint things and places, despite the fact that I love living in Miami. Uh, other places that I have enjoyed living in have always been smaller and less interesting. So I have a hard time relating to the super famous millionaires, if that's hard to believe. Right. Um, but, you know, you're right. We don't really know what it is that he's actually thinking. But, of course, I can never speak to anything that's not what they say out loud. So, um, but yeah, I mean, again, Frankenstein's a great player. Frankenstein woke up tomorrow and was like, actually, never mind. I would love to play. I would take him. Absolutely, I would. And boy, would he be great to get next to Casemiro. Yeah, right. It would be awesome. The two of them playing together. Yeah, the 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 defensive ability with of Casemiro and the the intelligence next to like Frankie De Jong's just that there's who's also defensively capable. He's defensively capable. He's he's a dribbler, which we don't have on our club right now. We don't have a midfielder who can progress the ball with their feet. If you look at what Bruno tries to do. Bruno tries to first time Hollywood pass it all the time. It is it has a 13% success rate. Those 13% often lead to goals, but the other 87 lead us lead us to head shaking. Erickson is is very very capable and is very smart on the ball, but obviously got injured by mm-hmm. by a, a topic that we're going to talk about later, yeah. but Frankie De Jong progressing the ball with his feet and and just like crisp clean passes that would be a really nice thing to see next to Casemiro. Yeah. So, but you're right. He's not, like you said, he, he's, he, if he wakes up and says, I want to be a part of the club, let's sign him. Likely that's not going to happen. Yeah. Let's say it did. Right. And that costs a significant amount of money. So with the money we'd left over, if that's something that we, so if we want to invest in another body in midfield that is like, you know, a little younger, cause Erickson's not old, but He's getting up there, and now this is an injury later, slightly later in his career. I mean, he could play for 10 more years and be totally fine. And he has a pacemaker. Yeah. Um, which, so that's kind of like we've got him, right? Because he can't play in Italy and all yeah. that stuff. So Carter um, told me about this. Why don't, why don't you tell tell the podcast? I, 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 didn't, I didn't know about this, hadn't read about this. Um, I can't remember all the countries where it's valid, but there is an issue with Erickson's pacemaker making him ineligible to play uh, in other leagues because of their rules about basically, I mean, in a fun way, having cyborgs play for their teams, yeah. but um, it is a real issue for him. And so, I mean, that kind of, if you're going to be cynical about it, could put us in a position of power with his, you know, contracts and stuff and keeping him around and keeping him wanting to play for us. Um, hopefully he just wants to play for us and we don't have to resort to being super villains, but uh, you know, that, so seeing like everything with Erickson is like, I love Erickson to death and I want him to be here until he retires. Cause I love the way he plays, you know, well, he, he could have stayed at Brentford, right? Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and, and he's making similar money to what he made yeah. at Brentford by all accounts. So mm-hmm. he did choose Manchester yeah. United over Brentford who 
you know, by all accounts, he helped keep in the league mm-hmm. and, and was, a, and they were almost hurt by mm-hmm. him deciding to come to Manchester United. So I do feel that we have some cachet with, with yeah. him personally. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's very logical and rings true. Um, you know, I just, I try not to get too attached because <laughs> then they leave and then I get really upset. They're not upset. Sad. I like I like the players that I like, and I want them to stay around on my team forever. When you're looking through all the old shirts in your closet mm-hmm. with all the names of bygone players yeah. that that spurned you, do, yeah. do you do you shed a tear? A little bit. I mean, I oh, I love Daniel James. I'm never gonna not love Daniel. Do James. You have a James like, shirt. I almost do. I was gonna put the number on it, and I just never got around to it. And you know what? I wish I did. I wish I did put the name on it. We've talked about this before about how we love those time capsule. Uh, shirt names that you know, like. I, I have to have a name on the shirt because it shows who I was at that time, who I was interested in, and all that, and what the team was going through. And I love that snapshot, that slice of life that you get when you make a commitment to this is the person I want on my shirt. And it's kind of silly, but it really is a snapshot of who you were as a person and what you, what you know, because here, you know, sports people are heroes, they're people you. Sometimes idealized. They're goats, or, they're villains, they're yeah. G-O-A-T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're G, and, lowercase O-A-T. Yeah, exactly, you know, like, and so it shows us, like, you know, who we were. Um, and I love that about shirts. Yeah, about, we, uh, we've talked about this in the past. And I will, I will say just by my own kind of casual looking around, the English don't seem to share that. That, that, that seems like an American thing. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, we're going we're gonna, to, in the future, we're going to do a segment on the podcast about correcting where we're wrong mm-hmm. when we get feedback. My perception is that that is an American thing. The the time capsule, mm-hmm. we want a name on the shirt because it is the shirt that they're wearing at the time. It's our, our take about a player and mm-hmm. our feelings about a player in a moment of time. And if you see a lot of English supporters, they don't have anything on the back of their shirt. Mm-hmm. They're, they're supporting the club and and the players are almost fungible, mm-hmm. and the it, it is all about supporting the club and the team. And and we we tend, uh, uh, I feel like a lot of us tend to to tack on to individual players. Like I have a Ronaldo shirt from last season because mm-hmm. I was convinced after we were second second place in the league in the pandemic season. Once we added Ronaldo and and Varane and and Sancho, like. We're we're how could we not win the league? Mm. And like obviously now I don't feel that way about Ronaldo. <laughs> so I feel a lot differently about Ronaldo. But that that time capsule thing it it matters. It 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 says who I was at that time, who who that player was at that at that mm-hmm. turn time too. So so yeah, lo- love a good love a good time capsule yeah. shirt. Absolutely. I mean, I have the the Henley. Pogba and what a fool I was for that. Um, so You're just a man. <laughs> so let's say we spend the money on somebody like Dijon, Dijon like or, or we'll say Jude Bellingham is the Jude other, Bellingham, yeah. is the other big um, big money kind of next to Casemiro type player that yeah. Manchester United might be in for. Even though I don't buy that he's going to come to us, I mean the Liverpool thing seems pretty. I mean the way they talk about it seems pretty sewn up. But let's say we have to get the next player on a budget, and I think we all know that we need a striker. Um, we love Martial here, um, and mostly in our group. Um, even if we, you know, give him some sticks sometimes for some of the crazy stuff he does, but uh, he's just not available enough. I would love for him and Veghorst to be available at the same time, offers different things. I love the idea of changing up what a Demons is going to be looking for and what they're trying to key on. Um, 
Did you but, see the Marcia? So after the FL Cup, they were all taking pictures, mm-hmm. obviously, with everyone. Martial hurt all the time. He took all his pictures with the training staff oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. and the medical staff. And it's it showed I've always and you've always known this, too, that Martial has a sense of humor about these things. But Martial knows that he's not available. And, you know, it's almost harder to, like, give him stick about mm-hmm. it, as you say, because if he could play all the time, he would. And it it based on what he said, he's also playing hurt the times where we've seen him yeah. and he's been available and he's been good. Mm-hmm. Like we like Martial yeah. the way that, that he he's not a kind of your traditional dunking the ball. Mm-hmm. Number nine, he is a link up player that is great for Bruno and Rashford and Sancho and would be great for Anthony if they could play any games together. Mm-hmm. But he is he is a creative, good striker, just not healthy. Yeah, and so with that in mind, again, nothing against Martial, just not available enough. Um, if we were trying to get some, something with money left over from another big buy, I'm a big Evan Ferguson fan for Brighton. Uh, I always root for an Irish player because Ireland's national team is in quite a state most of the years that they're playing something. Um, so you always, I always root for one because what's your heritage also, uh, you know, American Irish, the thing from a billion, billion years ago, not really Irish, but it is always fun to support those clubs that you're tangentially Just giving you a hard to. time. Yeah. I know, but I'm not going to let it get to me. Right. So I'm trying to give a regular reasoned response while I ignore Why are you your holding smiling your fist eyes? over your, your head like that. <laughs> um, but Evan Ferguson, I really like, um, it's, I think it's his first year in the Premier League, and it's maybe it's not his first year, but it's the first time that he's really breaking into the team. Yeah. Um, and right now, kind of everybody thinks he's around $10 million, but we're united, and he's playing in the league, and there's always a tax that goes there's along tax, with that. For sure. Um, but I do like the way he plays, um, and he's young. Uh, but uh, can, can you crown him as uh, you know Manchester United's number nine? Don't you think that Victor Osman, Harry Kane needs needs to be Victor Osman is the other one I've written down. The only thing, of course, that's why I brought up the caveat that Evan Ferguson would be leftover money um, from another big purchase. Osman would be the big purchase, which I was I sure at least in my head and reading and all that it's going to be over two hundred million dollars at least the first valuation that. Napoli get from them is going to be yeah. upwards of $200 million. And um, de- depends on who the owners are too. Yeah, um, for sure. But uh, Osman seems ideal, but of course Osman is another player where you're like, you know, whenever they change leagues, you know, it's, there's always a question mark there, but I'm kind of tired of talking about that. Cause there's always gonna be a question mark. I, I, I could get who I want. I could get Evan Ferguson and Evan Ferguson tears his ACL the first day of practice. It's, it's, there's always going to be a risk involved with getting a new player that you that's a little bit of an unknown in your own team. You could, people could be great somewhere else and come there, come to you. And then it just doesn't work. Um, well, what about Alessandro Martinez from the Eredivisie mm-hmm. to the Premier League? Mm-hmm. And we remember all of the horrible media yeah. about Licha specifically, yeah. but also about Malasia mm-hmm. and and even the Spanish players. Mm-hmm. Like this is in La Liga, Casemiro. You're gonna have to yeah, like yeah, learn yeah. how to play. Like all that BS. And yeah. Look at those guys now, right? Especially Licha. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
a, a supposed undersized center back mm-hmm. came from a much lesser regarded league to the greatest league in the world, the English Premier League, and boy, has he performed. Yeah, and I agree, and I think them being unknown quantities doesn't always have to be negative. It right. can be positive. Um, diamond in the rough. Yeah, and uh, I o- just think... Osaman isn't exactly a diamond yeah. in the rough. He's on the best team in Italy, <laughs> yeah. and he's scoring Champions League goals, but yeah. but yes, you're, you're right. Um, and I think I would like Osaman. Um Somebody brought up another topic that the way that Evan Ferguson is priced is that you could get Kane and Ferguson right. in the same window, so, which so I don't know if we're I totally buy that, but what do you think about what we need? And Yeah, so like now, now we're thinking about uh, Harry Kane was, was kind of regarded maybe even eight months ago as the most expensive striker that you could buy in this upcoming summer transfer window. Now it's much clearer that Harry Kane is older than Osimhen, and Osimhen is going to be the most like highly prized center forward striker that there is on the market. So yeah, I, I think that Harry Kane allows us to do a lot more. I just think that Osimhen is obviously like Holland, where he is a once in a lifetime young, amazing striker. So it'd be really nice to. You know, and and all all of you, I I hear you, you Qatari favorited, you know, <laughs> listeners out there that that want C- Qatar to buy the team. You're like, yeah, so let's let Qatar buy the team. Mm-hmm. So we get Osaman and Jude Bellingham. Have Frankie De Jong on the side. We'll get Carter's boy Evan Ferguson. <laughs> like we'll we'll do all of it. So I I hear that, but yeah, I I do think that Harry Kane is proven the Premier League, like we were talking about, and he's going to be a better price than, than, you know, we're going to ever get for, for Osaman. So I, I do think that Harry Kane is interesting. I'm not Harry Kane out. And I, I know a lot of United fans are now because they see the glitzy prize of Osaman, but I, 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 and I, I actually expect it to be Harry Kane. I really, yeah, I, I tend to like, I'd prefer Osaman. So mm. whatever I prefer, <laughs> it tends to be something different than that. So I, I, I expect to see Harry Kane in red next season. Okay. Interesting, interesting, and maybe that means a little bit of Ferguson action. Yeah, the the one the one name that that I wanted to throw in, he's on my fantasy team, and I love him, Matoma from Brighton. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he is a really really clever and good midfielder, and I think he can do a lot of interesting things. And I he is he is kind of one of those guys. But all of these, if I if I know about him and, and they're on my fantasy team then all the other teams do too, right? Of course. And we're talking about the Manchester United tax also. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I think that we're going to pay pay a lot of money for whoever we get, which is why I personally like Ten Hag like scouring his, his old league there mm-hmm. in VC to, to find players, to find talent. And, and you know, even Veghorst, it was like very cheap. You know, obviously mm-hmm. he's, he's on loan. And and is has been doing a job that that you know we we didn't he's been doing a job we wanted him to score goals but we're not like we didn't pay anything and mm. we're, we're just like paying his wages and it was I don't know it was like one point nine maybe on the mm. on the loan fee so something like that so I, I I trust Ten Hag to find diamonds in the rough to fill in spots but we definitely need a top line striker any other thoughts on the summer transfer window before we move on. 
a little bit, talk about our last couple topics? I don't think so, because every time I've made, made a prediction about the summer transfer window, it has gone in almost the opposite direction. So the better, the quicker I stop talking about it, probably the better for our team. All right. So I, I do want to, so I think this is like probably my favorite part about being a fan is is the complaining about the, <laughs> the refs and like horrible moments. So it's my plan to keep a running tally and try to put them in order of like the top 10 worst worst moments of refereeing or deciding how a game went var decision all that stuff and so i think we're gonna call this segment wingeable moments so i want to hear love it it doesn't have to be your top wingeable moment but i want you to tell me about a moment that just like still sticks in your craw if it happened last week if it happened three months ago if it happened three years ago what is a wingeable moment that you you continue to whinge about and when you get to a dark place yeah i guess i hope i'm not stealing something from you because i have to do it in combination because that's the only way it makes sense in my head four things well it's two things that need to be held together that make my brain melt right we have the casimir red card endangering air quotes endangering a player right is the reason that uh, or most of the, the biggest sided reason that he got a red, some of the studs up stuff. Um, let's go one direction and say, fine, let's say foot went over the ball. That's dangerous enough. Let's say that that is the correct call, um, which I know a lot of our fans also agree with. So, and that's okay. And we can always argue about it and, and read and have a discussion about it. That's okay. I do not think that just putting that out there no it was the uh, dumbest thing dumbest yeah. thing ever I, I i think at the time that it happened we all said to one another and and i said if that is the rule then i don't understand the sport that i've been following very closely yeah. for years if yeah. that is the rule yeah so <laughs> and, and and so to to just you know everyone has seen this but to just recap that horrible <laughs> moment right casimiro went in for a slide tackle he Got the ball first. The opposing player had had his foot behind the ball, so on the opposite side of Casemiro, and that made it so that the ball was a fixed object, basically. So Casemiro hit the ball with the underside of his boot. It, the underside of his boot popped up and clipped. The, do you know the player who the player was I that he remember. clipped? I don't remember. Um, yeah, so clipped the the shin of the uh, was a Southampton player. And some it was a yellow card on the field, VAR and horrible. If you want to read deeper into it, horrible stuff with these two refs that were involved and what decisions they've made, what decision they didn't. The VAR official called the on-field official to take a look at it. I think it was Anthony Taylor and uh, Mariner were the were the two. I think so. Um, And Andrew Mariner, I think Anthony Taylor. And anyway, they, they turned the yellow card into a red card. And I was convinced at the time that they were to turn the yellow card into no card because yeah. I was convinced that he hit the ball. So, yeah. so we're all on the same page, right? Yeah. That, that is yeah. the dumbest thing ever, yeah. that he got uh, a red card. I have a whole thing on endangering on dangerous play. Um, I was talking to you earlier about this. Uh, my whole hang-up with it, before I get to the next thing that creates another hang-up on it, um, my whole hang-up on it is, all right, dangerous play. If you're going to tell me that you would have been okay with Casimiro getting a red card if he did not make contact with the ball or the player, which is something that you can be carded for if it's dangerous enough play. Uh, If you would watch that play and Casimiro didn't touch whoever it was that he caught and 
the referee gave him a red card. If you would be okay with that, I need you to explain it to me because it does not make any sense to me how if that guy if he had not made contact, how that still would have been worthy of a red card. That would that would really really blow my mind. But that's a different that's a different that's more of a difference of opinion about what we think because sure. it's a little subjective, right? You have the boot, you have the studs up. How often do people go in studs up and get the ball and don't get carded because they didn't make the contact? That's I, the kind of I've basically never seen it. Yeah, right. Where they got the ball first and yeah. and clipped clipped a foot or or shin after the ball yeah. and get a red the, card. The only comparable thing that I can think of is when Son didn't touch Andre Gomez and Andre Gomez snapped his ankle in half. But when you see the replay, Sun isn't that close to him and it doesn't really yeah. make that much contact. And we contact all agree. All. I've, I've heard United supporters saying, mm. like, like, no, Sun, Sun, was ha- well, Sun was obviously beside himself with this guy snapped mm. his ankle. But he's like, I'm, but that's between you and the ground. I, yeah. Like, I had nothing to exactly. do with that. Um, so that's the only one that I can think of. But the thing that drives me even more crazy, which I think is going to be the more consistently held opinion when it comes to supporters and referees and their teams is that if Casemiro got red and freaking Andy Carroll did not for the tackle on Erickson, that's when it gets really, that's less of an opinion. Carroll should have got a red if Casemiro got a red. Remind me, and Carter, did, did Andy Carroll even get a yellow for I that tackle? I do not believe so. He did not even Somehow. get a yellow for that tackle. That took out Erickson for three months. And it was obvious to everyone. And I would, I want to say even the, the announcers knew that they're like, wow, I can't believe that scissor tackle from the back didn't get punished. I mean, it is so unbelievable to me that that, that those two plays can coexist in the same sport and be like, yeah, those are, those are correct calls. It doesn't make any sense to me. And it's never going to be something that I can put together in my head. Um, and I often find myself, as I do right now, in a loss for words when I sit up at night at three in the morning thinking about those no. two videos in my head. <laughs> those are worthy of big whinges and like late night thoughts. And, you know, the, the whataboutism, it, it, I think it, it is OK in this context saying how is how is the Casemiro tackle a red and the Andy Carroll isn't even a yellow? I think that's OK. One time where I hate that is where you take a lesser incident and say that should have been a something. So an example of that is Mitrovic pushed a ref in our last game against Fulham, rightfully got a red card, and people said, why, you know, maybe Mitrovic should have gotten a red card, but then Bruno should have had a red card for pushing the referee in the Liverpool match, right? And and if you look at it, what Mitrovic did was pushed a referee that was mm. that was sending his teammate off. What Bruno did was after the referee held Bruno or like moved Bruno manually with his hands, Bruno kind of pushed past him to get to the ball. Bruno shouldn't have done that. Maybe a yellow, not a red. Mm. And I I think Bruno was wrong to do that. But one is not equivalent to the other. Pushing a ref in anger is, is much different than what Bruno did, which was reciprocate touching which yeah. shouldn't really happen between referees yeah, yeah. And, and players and pushing past him to get to yeah. get to the ball. So so I, I but I but your point is different, right? You're saying Andy Carroll's was much worse. Yeah. And he didn't get a yellow for it. Yeah. And Casemiro did nothing wrong and got yeah. a red. And also watching a grown man 
that I respect, like Casemiro cry mm. because of it kills me. Yeah. And then I heard the interview afterwards where he said, the reason I don't play dangerous is because my mother taught me good values. Mm. It made me cry because oh, he was yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. was invoking his mother mm. to say how his, how his values are, are so good yeah. on, on the pitch. So I think those are like, those are certainly on the list. Both of those yeah. are like good wingeable moments. Mine is I, I I like won't understand this again, and I feel like it has had a cascading effect on our team. Early in the season, we played against Real Sociedad in Europa League group stage, right? At Old Trafford. We've only lost two matches at Old Trafford this year. We lost that one, and we lost the one I went to, Brighton opening match day in, in Premier League. That game should have been a nil-nil draw or a 1-0 Manchester United victory. We had plenty of chances to beat Real Sociedad. Instead, we lost 1-0 because Leach Alessandro Martinez went for a block in the box. He successfully blocked a shot from Real Sociedad. The ball deflected off of his shin or his foot and went onto his arm, and it was somehow some way called a penalty on the field and then not checked by VAR, not, not a, a, a clear and obvious error that would necessitate VAR. That is the dumbest thing ever. And that stupid call, they converted the penalty. They won one nil. It meant that we didn't win our group in, in the Europa league. Mm-hmm. It meant that we had to play Barcelona we got some great games that we we wouldn't otherwise have, and like a crowning moment, beating Barcelona, best in La Liga, blah blah blah. But they kept. Cast- Frankie Dijon. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we got to we got to like Frankie Dijon got to finally go to Manchester and yeah. and and then go home <laughs> promptly uh, as a loser. But if you think about all of the cascading effects of that stupid call, that the extra energy that we've had to put in. To not only the Real Sociedad away game to to try and chase that game, the amount of injuries that came out of both the the two Barcelona fixtures, the amount of time and effort that went into playing those two extra games when we have the most congested fixture schedule of any European team. Mm -hmm. We are competing the Premier League. For a top four place, some would say for more, but most would agree. Mm. Top four place. We were in the EFL Cup, which a lot of other European teams don't have a, a second tier domestic competition. We were competing in the FA Cup still, and we're in the Europa League. And to saddle us with two more games in February, which was the most congested month because of that one bad call, it's why we love the sport and it's also why the sport makes us crazy which makes mm-hmm. us love it even more is because that cascading effect of that one stupid missed call meant that we didn't win our group we like we didn't have the best goal differential and therefore we had to play extra games cost us injuries cost us time and we you know i'm, I'm not going to make excuses we don't talk about that that match the the you know that match that happened with all the goals that got scored <laughs> against us we don't talk about that but you have to chalk a lot of that up to fatigue and yeah. it's 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 calls like that that are just dumb and shouldn't have happened yeah and i agree um and you know thinking about the Leecha handball it immediately i immediately started thinking about the uh who did we play sporting 
Yeah. Yeah, when we played sporting, oh. and the guy... Oh, you're real badass. Oh, badass, yeah. badass, badass, badass. When he oh. hit the guy in the arm... That was horrible. And... So this was a, this they, was a cross, a cross into the box, hit a guy's arm right outside the penalty area, mm-hmm. he passed it, and they scored against us. Yeah, and the way that people tried to explain their judgment to me is that if he had scored, it would have been a handball. Or if it had happened in the midfield, it would have been a handball. But it's just the one of those nonsense things that they they've been chopping and changing the handball rule every year for what feels like six or seven years. And they need to figure it out and make it as simple as possible. I And at this point, I don't care if teams score less goals. I didn't score that many goals in the first place. So it's not like that's why we all come here to watch right. a 10-goal game. So they need to make it as simple and straightforward as possible. Maybe an ounce yeah. of subjectivity that that's what referees get paid for. But they need to fix it because it is so frustrating watching some of these games where they tr- and like the commentators are trying to explain the handball and they don't totally understand how, how it works, how they want the referees to interpret it. Whatever IFAB's uh, instruction is for these, these, these complicated things, they're too complicated. They need to be simplified or at least stated in a much more straightforward direction. Yeah. So they, so they changed it recently. So, so now correct me if I'm wrong. The rule is that a player if the ball touches a player's arm or hand that would normally be a handball, even unintentional, that player can't then score the goal immediately after the handball. And this happened at Rashford. Rashford like mm-hmm. Rashford jumped over someone, it, it hit his foot, and then it went up to his arm, and then he he put in the back of the net. And it's silly because there were I, I think Bruno was was open on on that play. I can't even remember who it was against. But if Rashford had just passed it, then that wouldn't be a handball. And so what are we trying to deter or yeah. what are we trying to encourage? But meanwhile, a guy basically, this was Real Betis, he basically caught the ball with his mm-hmm. arm and then passed it. And because he wasn't the player that ended up scoring, it didn't count as a handball and the goal stood. Yeah. And so that's stupid. And so, yeah. so yeah, so those, that goes on, on our, <laughs> our running tally. We're going to, you know, at the end of the season, we're going to see all the ones that we have. We're going to, we're going to try and do our best to rank them and, and recap them. So before we, we close out, I want to definitely do, uh, you know, this is going to be the meatiest topic. So let, let's do, we're going to hold off on doing our most valuable player or Manchester United uh, personnel of the season. I want to talk. I want to know your most underrated member of Manchester United that people don't respect or don't like or don't love the way that you do. And I, I, I know a couple of yours, but I, I want to hear what what you would say your most underrated player or person is that is at Manchester United right now. I know what you're expecting. Well, I'm expecting a few, and and those who know you are expecting a couple also. Um, yeah, I, I, most people who, if they had to say who I was going to say, they would guess McTominay. And I do love McTominay, because I like a hard man, and I like big lads. Um, but he hasn't had the greatest season. I did, haven't hated what he's done, but I don't live in fantasy land. He scored a goal. Who, yeah, and then he scored the two for Scotland. You see that? I did. Mm, yeah. So good. Hope he brings some of those back to the club so I can sing his song. Right. Uh, shout out to Kevin Ashford for that incredible piece of music that we have. Uh, hasn't, I don't think he scored while I've been at the bar since the song came out, so that's 
probably bad luck, but he scored against Villa, I think, right? So and I, and I don't think in, I was in there. The FA Cup or oh uh, yeah, 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 or yeah, I think EFL Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the the Garnacha Cross, right? Yeah, and I was yeah watching that somewhere else. Um, but I think just because he's had a better season, I would have to say Juan Bissaka. Um, Dello seemed more like the favorite coming in, and people were tired of how Juan Bissaka plays. I like defenders who can defend. So I think that he has aerial weaknesses. Um, he's not great at covering the back post, even when he's in a deeper position, when he should be able to get there, and that is a weakness of his. Uh, something I think Dello actually does better than him. Um, but I think that the desire that he's shown, it's hard to read his face. He is not does not have an emotive face. But the would fact be a that, great poker player, right? Right. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter what he's done; he is just staring. Uh, Scored goals. Yeah, it was across to <laughs> yeah, the assist to, yeah. to Erickson, I think. Um, Didn't even break a smile. Yeah, and I don't think that's because he's unhappy. I think he's always. Been, I mean, he makes some of the greatest tackles, and he just gets up. And I love that stuff. But he's being picked, and that you know, no matter what we don't know, what's going on behind the scenes, scenes, we can always say, well, the coach picks him, or the coach doesn't pick him. And the coach is picking him. And that, though, kind of how the, the narrative developed around Dello versus Wambasaka versus needing to get a new right back in. Um, I mean, players hear things. Like, they can not go on social media, that kind of thing, but they know. They can hear. And to me, that shows some sort of drive and desire. And I think that that's something to be appreciated that he wasn't favorite and worked. However, he did so his way back into being picked. And I think that there's something to say for that because now we have two right backs. You don't want one. I mean, it'd be great if people were superhuman and could play every game, but even let's say, let's say if, even if you prefer Dello, it's still nice having someone who we know is capable and has been on form and playing well to spell him, to give him a rest or to offer us something different when we need it. We've seen those halftime changes a few times where either Wambasaka or Dello starts. And then one of the other one comes out at halftime. If it's not working, um, or the last 30 minutes. And I think that that is valuable. And I think it's something that's valuable that isn't talked about enough. I think you're absolutely right. And if you think about where he started, which is definitely going to be sold, trying, uh, uh, Ten Hag was trying to have him sold in the last summer transfer window. Mm-hmm. And, the, uh, and then in January again, because Ten Hag wasn't picking him, DeLogue was hurt playing for Portugal, came back, and and Juan Bissaka was playing and was playing great. He really and he was linking up with Anthony better also, which is weird because it, you know if you look at Anthony and and Juan Bissaka, there can't be two different players. They don't speak the same language. They're not from the same hemisphere. They they have opposite body language and ways of playing. And you could expect that Delo and Anthony might be able to link up better on the right side. But for whatever reason, Juan Bissaka and Anthony have much better camaraderie on on the field, much better link up and creativity. And so that's been great. And then just the fact that a player, you know, Ten Hag never said this, but but all reports were that Ten Hag didn't value Juan Bissaka and wanted to sell him or put him on loan and get a, a right back in in either the summer transfer window or, or, or in January. And out of, uh, out of necessity, he had to play Juan Bissaka. And since then, Aaron Juan Bissaka has been playing pretty regularly. 
and Ten Hag has picked him over a healthy Delo at times. So, and obviously, like what you said, back post stuff certainly a flaw, but he he often saves goals with slide with like these like expert slide tackles. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I certainly value him. I I I you know I, I know that you, I know that you love that player. I, I would imagine he would have been your your second choice. If McTominay had maybe scored one more goal, like maybe mm. maybe McTominay would have been your your most underrated. So I'm gonna go for there are a few that I, that I like out there. I'm gonna go with a controversial one. I'm not trying to be um, purposefully controversial for content, but I think Richard Arnold is extremely underrated, and we have all cast a horrible light on him because of his connection with the Glazers and their horrible mismanagement of the team. Richard Arnold became CEO. He had, he had, he's a banker, like all of these guys are. He's an accountant, just like John Murtaugh and, and all of the, the non-football directors of football that end up in charge of who comes in and who goes out at Manchester United. So he came on in February of 2022, if I, when, when, um, when Woodward st- stepped down, right, at, at Woodward, and he had worked under Edward Woodward for years, right? And ended up becoming the CEO of Manchester United, which basically meant he was director of football. And it's bad to have an accountant, right? Mm-hmm. As director of football, that's like not... That's not, at least what we always say. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's not so great. The things that he's done since that happened sound like this. He was able to orchestrate the removal of Ralph Rangnick and the hiring of Eric Ten Hag. The hiring of Eric Ten Hag is a momentous occasion in Manchester United history that we will remember for years and years to come. I do believe he is our next Sir Alex Ferguson. Hmm. I liked Ralph Rangnick. Ralph Rangnick provided things to the club and helped soften the, the exact sentiments that Ten Hag said to the board and to Richard Arnold, which was basically, we need 10 new players. We, mm-hmm. we can't, this, this is a mess, what we have right mm-hmm. now. And remember that Richard Arnold, he inherited the, the dressing room mess of last season. It, I can't imagine a worse situation than having those personalities. You have the, the whinging English players like, Dean Henderson, who who is in and out of the mm. locker room, and Lingard. You have Paul Pogba, mercurial and interesting and weird and getting paid tons of money. You have Ronaldo, of course, <laughs> who no one... I, I don't need to go any further into how how awful and cancerous he is to a dressing room. And you also had Bad Bruno, which mm. is also horrible for... A dressing room it, when when Bruno is down and add that into obviously the poor results every everything was horrible when Richard Arnold took over Eric Ten Hag hiring 220 million pounds spent in the summer transfer window and some huge wins mm-hmm. Casemiro huge win like Casemiro much better than I, I think I, I think 80 80 million something like that mm-hmm. was the number yeah worth much more than 80 million yeah. he he if if we sold him now it would be 
120, 130, mm-hmm. something like that. Malasia, 12 million, mm-hmm. basically doing what Ten Hag wanted and finding replacements for the ones that that Ten Hag couldn't get. Mm-hmm. So so Timber was was on the list and Timber is a center back from Ajax who who played under Ten Hag. Seemed like Ajax was unwilling to separate from from him. We got Lissandro Martinez, one of the best center backs in the world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I think I don't I other fans might want to pretend that it's not true, but he just is. And he changes he changes the the vibe of everyone on we saw the, the back line defending, and I think a lot of this is Lissandro Martinez because mm. Varane's kind of a cool customer. Mm. Slide tackles began being celebrated by that yeah. back line because of the fire that that guy, that the yeah. butcher brings to the to the team. Lissandro Martinez came in. Erickson on a free. Mm. Anthony, overpaid for, not Anthony's fault. He's yeah. going to get good, and he scores some bangers. Yeah, yeah. it's all with his left foot, but like, who else? Uh, goal, goal, goal's a goal, right? Yeah, goal's it doesn't matter if it's if he's if it's on his right foot or his left foot. We could score seventy five deflected or own goals this year, and I would not care. I could not tell you how little I would care. Yeah, I, I I'm happy to see OG on there. Yeah. All, all the way. So Anthony overpaid. Fine. We didn't have a choice. So two hundred twenty million pounds spent. Pretty good. I'm, I'm like really happy with the last summer. Like we've got some stars that are going to go down as Man United legends from the last summer transfer window. And then no money in January. Richard Arnold can't do much about that. Yeah, yeah. I did. I, I said Erickson on a free, right? Er, mm. So Erickson on a free in the summer. January, we brought in two players that I think are going to make a big difference. One already has. So I think Veghorst makes a big difference. He doesn't score goals. He touched the Anfield sign, whatever. <laughs> But he stops a hole in our boat, which is that we don't have a striker, and it leads us to like maybe maybe we should put Marcus Rashford mm-hmm. at at center forward. Maybe we should we do stuff like that, and it's moving Rashford away from his best position, mm-hmm. which is which is playing on the left. And obviously, in in some of these games, Ten Hag will move Veghorst to to number 10 and then maybe Sancho's playing on the left and Rashford mm-hmm. moves over to, to striker. But Veghorst is a player that allows us the opportunity to like, to play guys in their proper position. And there is value to that. And he's on He's, he's a lone player yeah. and we basically are paying not one, 1. 1.8 or 1. 1.9. Yeah. And then Sabitzer, who I think is going to come good too as an Ericsson replacement. Mm-hmm. And also, Basically, we had no money in the January transfer window, yeah. so he's a, a lone player. wasn't playing at Bayern, and was we were able to bring him in. And I think he does some things better than Ericsson would. He, he's another player that just scored. I think he scored two goals and had an assist for Austria. He he in the Euro qualifiers. He looks like a great player. So I, nobody's going to like this take. Richard Arnold will be fired in like <laughs> in like three months. This will not age well. Whoever takes over the club is going to fire Richard Arnold. But I think that guy has has turned around what should have been a lame duck turd of a season. We and, I, and it wasn't him. Obviously, mm-hmm. it, was, it was Ten Hag that that is doing a lot of this. But Richard Arnold has facilitated like Ten Hag's wish list, and I think he is an underrated participant in this Manchester United club. I agree, and I think that something that gets lost is right. Lots of people were mad at, mad at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And then people kept saying, well, 
well, how are they going to still share? Right. And then you get into that conversation. It's like, if you don't think that that coach is good, why do you think that these people who are paid to make those decisions should get a free pass on making those decisions? But the reverse is also true that if you like the coach and you like what he's allowed the coach to do, then you have to give some credit to the person that put that guy in charge that, that facilitated their joining the team. And I think there's really something to be said for that. All right. So everyone's booing. I should stop talking <laughs> about Richard Arnold. So I think it's a good place for us to, to end here. Um, we, we, we have a list of topics that we're going to get to in, in the future, but I feel like, you know, especially after my Richard Arnold comments, a lot of you have said, well, these these guys don't know what they're talking about. Glad you saved that one for the end. Yeah, it was it was right at the end to, to piss off our listeners. That said, I want to thank all you listeners for listening, supporting us, supporting the Miami Red Devils. This is a a local pod run by a local supporters group. And so we appreciate all of you for following at Miami Red Devils on Instagram, at Miami Red Devils on Facebook as well. And of course, subscribe to the pod. And Carter, did you have a good time? I really did have a great time, and I really hope our listeners are having as good of a time as we did. Absolutely. I'm sure they have. All right. So for Carter, I'm Adam. Miami Red Devils, follow us, subscribe to the podcast channel, and again on Instagram, at Miami Red Devils, on Facebook, at Miami Red Devils. Till next time, come on United.